Abba, thank you for yet another opportunity to share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom to anyone that has an ear to hear the words, but listen to your truth and seek your face in your word, Father God. You are the author, the finisher, the first and the last, the great I am, you are my Abba Yahweh. Thank you for this opportunity, Father. Thank you for the turmoils and the things that are going on around and, and that you're with me. We walk together. Thank you, Father God, your Holy Spirit. Thank you, my Lord Jesus. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Eshua, Aman. Parakritos, Aman. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said thank you for the things that are going on and the tussles and turmoil. See, we have to we have to learn to be willing to do that. It takes some practice. As Paul writes in his letters, you must practice to show yourself approved. Okay? Things a good musician takes practice. I have a um, I have a friend and a brother. I haven't seen him for a really long time, but he always had a guitar and he was always playing. He was always going and he's done nothing but improve. He, I mean, I believe that he could probably be really somebody, but he's, um, he's not looking to that. He just, he does it for the love of playing. And of course, I haven't seen him for a very long time, so I don't know if he has not transcended to something different, but he plays. He plays because he loves it. So saying that to say this, we should practice and be in the word to show ourselves approved to our Lord God, and we do it because we love him. And I got to say this, straight up and straight out, he loved us first. If it wasn't for his love, we wouldn't be able to, quite honestly. Mammon has a problem there because they always succumb, it seems, to the will of the enemy, who would, of course, be Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, Devil, Satan, whatever name you want to apply, the, the dragon from the pit, um, the serpent, however you want to say it. But the thing of it is that the enemy is one thing, period. And that is he who wishes to take us away from God and have us to perish. That is, that's his, that's his goal. That's his, that's his mantra that he, I think he, uh, performs out every single day. And he has those minions that do his bidding, whether they be actual demons as the Chaldeans and some of the other biblical descriptions of demons is but what we do know is that they were that his demons are are powerful the demons of satan are powerful they are indeed and this is why god keeps him on that invisible plane of existence on the spiritual plane of existence to keep them from our sight because i i i promise you this that what happens on that plane is so scary that you would mess yourself, first of all, 
because you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to realize, but it would be a very scary, nasty thing to see and behold. And God protects us from that by not giving us that vision of that plane of existence. It's all around us all the time, and it's we're told that in the truth of the word. And this is one of the reasons why God tells us to put on the full armor. And he made that armor for us. Why would he go through the process of making a suit of armor for every one of his children if it wasn't necessary? And and I'm speaking this mostly to those individuals that say, oh, I read the end of the Bible. We don't need to do anything. The Holy Spirit's got it all. Yeah, well, you continue being that slothful, lazy, so-called uh, self-proclaimed Christian, you continue being that way, that you don't share the gospel, you don't share the word of God, you probably rarely pick up the Bible, and when you go to church, it's only for special occasions, and you go to hang out with your, your pals and buddies, and you're not going to praise, thank, or worship the Lord God Almighty who created you in the beginning and created you anyway. And there are those that do that very thing. And... Some I actually see where I go. But here's the thing. You don't point your finger and you don't judge them because you don't have that authority. What you do is you pray for them. An earnest, honest prayer for the Holy Spirit to convict their heart. And what that means is is not like, pardon me, I get into that millennial speech thing sometimes. And you know what? I got to quit doing that too because it's just an era that individuals were born in and, and I, they call it that. But it's not, um, it's a form of speech and, and it's um, sometimes it's <laughs> troubling and just downright Annoying, but we got to release that and let that go. Like, you know, like, and you know, like, and you know, and like, you know, man, and you know, like, 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 okay. I'm done. Sorry, I apologize. It's the same as, and we can't do that because that authority is not given to us. We have authority to step on the heads of serpents and scorpions and to face down the power of the enemy himself. And the power of the enemy himself is to have those people to be dazed and confused. They wander around and they're, they're, they're coming, which is a, a plus factor. And then you must and I must pray for them that the Holy Spirit would come and convict. So I say that term again, when the Holy Spirit convicts, a conviction is not, um, it's not as if they're being put in jail and, and um, it's not, it's not the same as a judge it's not a, as if the judge is, is putting them in jail. So, um,
So what a conviction is, is what the Holy Spirit does to us is totally different. What we see is, um, what we're used to is is the, the act of convicting somebody and, and they're going to jail because they broke the law and that the judge up there in his robe bangs a gavel and says, you're going to jail, you're guilty. And we know it's something that that person did. However, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's the proof that he puts before us in our mind's eye so that we see this thing and I like the the final definition of that is the state of being convinced. So the Holy Spirit has convinced the individuals that they need to change what they're doing and their belief. He's shown them convicts the heart so that they change their ways and they say, oh man, this is, this is very wrong. And it isn't anything that anyone points their finger and makes a judgment because God doesn't do that. And we can find that actually. I've got a couple things I'm going to share with you. And we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to the old the New Testament first. Actually, I almost slipped up and said the Old Testament. We're going to go to the uh, the New Testament first, and it's Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, the church that was there. Let me let me share with you these letters to the various churches that he wrote: Hebrews, Romans. Ephesians, a lot of these churches were going through some really heavy issues because, and and the one here in Rome too, because they were surrounded by various churches. You had uh, some of the churches were right smack in the middle, in the center of a territory that was argued over between the Romans and the Greeks and then you had those who were practicing really, really heavy into Phariseeism. They were judgmental. They were accusatory. They were pretty despicable. If you could imagine that you had a whole bunch that were just like the ones that convinced Pilate and took Jesus and had him crucified. Oh, yeah, they were out there, but they were... They also knew better because they studied the word and they knew more than everybody else. Looked down their nose at everyone. This is, they were judgmental, just like they tried to do with the blind man at the gate that Jesus healed. But it was done on the Sabbath day, goodness gracious. It was a, this was a verbal law that they had enacted. It wasn't even a written law. But they decided that it wasn't, nothing was going to be done on Sunday. But yet they did things on Sunday. And Jesus tried to point that out and they got mad. The, the, the more truth Jesus spoke, the angrier they got. My goodness gracious. That's a telltale sign right there that they have no conviction in their heart what they believe to be their, uh, arguably, the empirical evidence that they had that they were smarter, but they weren't. 
you had one group that wouldn't read past the first five books of Moses and they kept declaring it the law of Moses. I'm declaring here now that it's not the law of Moses. It's the law of the great I am. It is his law and his word and his truth, period. It was shared with Moses and he was hired to carry it to the nation. He didn't write it. He didn't devise it. He copied it down after what he was told by God, Abba Yahweh, which was also the first permissive name that we on this plane of existence were given of God. And then they of the greater knowledge than everybody else forbade anyone to say the word. They couldn't even say his name, Yahweh, and they took out certain parts of the name and vowels so that when it was written down, it wasn't even, you couldn't read it out to be that. You had to kind of sound out the first and second part of it. You made a sound like it, but you couldn't say it. Wait a second. God, the sovereign Lord, creator of all things, the maker of all things made, and some of the prayers you hear that they do over Seder and, and some of the other festivals that they do, the prayer that they they call him the, the maker of the universe, or creator of all things, but yet they don't allow that people can call him Yahweh, Abba, Yahweh, and they don't like it when people call him Abba. Well, excuse me, he's my heavenly father. Right, Dad? Oh, did that twist somebody's knickers? Well, that's kind of too bad because God desires a personal relationship with us. We are shared that in the Bible. The scripture said that he desires a personal relationship. We are invited into that. We are invited into that. And I'm getting a little carried away as I do with the word of God anyway, but we're gonna go here in Romans. Start out there and then I got all agitated about the Pharisees. <laughs> Our adoption letter. I share this with you because I've kind of, um, I've decided that for me, that's what this is. That's my perception, but it's important because if you read it, you will see that it's true. One of the first things, this is Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore is there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Hmm. Interesting terminology in the scripture there. Thank you, Father. Thank you. So, Jesus, when he is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who was so full of sin and he recited so many things to her and she got excited about it because he pointed out to her things that no one could possibly know and told her that he didn't condemn her, which was what she was worried about, but he told her that that's not what he was there about and that as Messiah, he would not condemn her. 
that got her even more excited. Messiah, you're here, you're here now. And he talked about the well, talked about the water, talked about the truth and being able to worship in truth and spirit. I just read that, that follow after the spirit. What spirit are we following? We're following after the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Lord God who comes here. And what did Jesus tell us when he got ready to leave? I go now to prepare a place. And if I go, then there will be another here. And he petitioned God to have the Holy Spirit come, guide, teach, and share. And when there was trouble in the word and you have issues understanding, you pray the Holy Spirit. This is what I tell you, brothers and sisters. And John, John wrote to try the spirit in all things. When you get ready to go to a new church or you get ready to step off into something, try the spirit. Make sure that it's a direction. And the Holy Spirit is for a analogy that can be used in this plane of existence where he's our tour guide. But unlike those that you see with the little orange flag, flag and they wave it around so that you can see where they're at, he didn't do that. He just knows the steps. He knows the way. He's always got a bright light. He's always able to light the path. He can disrupt any of the confusion and if you look at the tour guides that are established for many, you don't hear about them so much anymore, but they used to be they used to be very prevalent when you had countries that were getting ready to come and they were going to visit or you had business. They had tour guides that would come and set up and they would go and they would they were knowledgeable. They would be able to guide and teach and to dispel any confusion. Well, I don't have that anymore because so much is. Never mind, I'm not going to go there. But the Holy Spirit is our guide. He knows the way. And there is no conviction and blame, remember. Just like I read in the first, the first, the first stanza of our adoption letter. There now, therefore, is no condemnation which means that God does not point his finger and blame you. The Holy Spirit guides you. And we have been saved by the blood of Jesus who was crucified for us. Now we get into this. I'm going to say, share this with you. And this goes along with some things that I've shared before is that we see the Lord, and we see Jesus is not just in the New Testament when he came and he was born in a manger and yada, yada, yada. And then some years later, he grew up a little bit more and, and he took the disciples and he taught them and started doing all that stuff that he did. Healing the blind, the sick, and raising people from the dead and then being crucified. But if you open your spiritual eyes and you listen to the word of God and you lean in and you listen to the still small voice and you go back, go back, go back in time and follow regula pirele, follow the rule of faith and go 
back into the old portion of the Bible, go back in biblical history, and you will find Jesus present. And how can I say that? Well, read the scripture. Read the word and pay attention to what is said. And we already know that Jesus was with God from the beginning. Jesus was the word. And when things were made, Jesus was there. <clears throat> when Satan tried to be the bully boy and got kicked out of heaven, he was there. Remember, he shared that with us in the book of Luke. When the physician wrote these words that Jesus repeated to the disciples, he said, hey, don't be all unhappy about what you're doing. You need to be rejoicing for the fact that you did glory to God and you did the right thing and that you are written in the book of life and recorded in heaven. <clears throat> Don't be happy about all the things that you're doing. And you didn't actually do it anyway. He didn't say that. I'm paraphrasing a little bit because we have individuals in this plane of existence now, here and now, that claim more than the authority that you're authorized, more than the authority that was given us, and they declare that it's their church and their congregation and they saved so-and-so and they did this and they did that and they, in their what they said, they saved so-and-so. <clears throat> Whoa, Nelly, really overstepping your bounds there, but you didn't save anyone. You're the messenger. You're the delivery guy, just like Moses. And just like those laws that there are many that still do declare the laws of Moses, they weren't his anyway. He delivered them, he carried them, he shared them, but he didn't write them. They're God's laws, they are his tenets, they are the word of God, his truth, from his knowledge and his wisdom, and they were delivered by Moses. He may as well have had on that little brown suit that said UPS or what's the other one, the yellow and red suit for DHL or anybody. He could have worn any of those uniforms because that's what he was. He was the delivery guy. He didn't write the laws and so many people will declare that. But God doesn't point his finger in condemnation, as you will have so many of these, just like they practice that pharisaical tendency, which happens to be judgmentalism. They love to judge. They love to be the ones, and this is what Jesus was talking about at the gate when he healed the blind man, talking about having sight and still being blind because they refuse to hear or know and listen. But we're going to visit Jesus here in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to the book of Isaiah 43. Isaiah was a very powerful prophet of God. And you have theological, the... Um, uh, the theological wizards, as I call them, because many of them are self-proclaimed, and they have the little, they have this nice little rice paper piece of uh, the scribbled on that's so scribbled you, you can't even read the signature. I mean, it's really nice. It's done with a 
calligraphic pen and, and really has some flares and loops in terms, but there's so much of it that it's overdone and you can't even read the name. And then they put it in this really nice little frame and they put it on the wall behind their desk so that people, whenever they come in, um, pretty much it's at eye level. And when people come in and they see that, and it's like, oh, it's almost as if it should have a recorded trumpet blast with it. Da, 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 you're in the presence of a theological wizard. And they like to remind people of that. But here's the thing. <clears throat> They're not so. Yes, it's it's great that they exercise their decision to go to class and to study and all that. But here's the here are the real true theological masters. I have some that attend the church that I go to, God's house. I really like the fact that my pastor and his wife, they both have degrees. But they don't, neither one of them speak down their nose in arrogance. And they don't make a big deal about announcing to everybody. They don't make it a, a factor that's known when they talk to people. And they don't pronounce it. Oh, hey, this is, uh, this is Jamie Miller. He's our lead pastor. Oh, that's Dr. Jamie Miller to you. Well, he didn't ever say that. And I like that about it about him and his wife. Oh, whoops, I slipped. There's his name. Yeah. Um, but he does. He has a doctorate and he studied and he throws out Greek and Latin every once in a while. Doesn't make a big deal about doing that. And I think, I think he, um, I think he suppresses that to do that because he doesn't want others to be uncomfortable. And this is the heart that he has. He has the heart of love and compassion for his, the congregation that goes to the church that he is the prophet at, that he is our elder, he is our shepherd, our angel, angel of the church of Antioch. That's what he is. Those are all titles and they're all appropriate. So if we go back to the book of Isaiah, again, I got a little carried away, apologize. But Isaiah was a prophet of God. And as these pharisaical practicing <clears throat> theological wizards decide that he is one of the greater prophets, and then they have, of course, when you go through the Bible, you see, oh, lesser prophets, Habakkuk, and so forth. And a prophet of God is a prophet of God. And when they're given a specific word to bring, they're doing what they were called to do. And who are we to determine that they're either greater or lesser? We're nobody, really, we're, we are. We're nobody with that authority to do that, but they, yet they do. So we're going to Isaiah, <clears throat> prophet of God, and he was a very powerful man of God. And... <laughs> There were a couple times when he went to places and they said, um, are you coming to destroy us or are you coming to share the word or, you know, they, because he had, he had a reputation. This was a, this is a prophet of God. And when God gave him directions, he carried them out and he was very firm handed about these things. But God was also very specific. Isaiah was very specific. 
but he also had a very gentle nature to him. But here we go and we find this and Isaiah's writing this and actually it's a, <clears throat> we can say it's a prophetic word to the nation of Israel. It's also a prophetic word to us and we should pay attention to heed this. But we're gonna encounter Jesus here. Some of you might have doubts or be filled with skepticism and that's okay. That's your choice. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Those words are very powerful. But the scriptures also bear witness to the power and that authority in later scriptures that Jesus pretty much says identical words. But later on as we go and those theological wizards have decided to separate the Bible, the New Testament, the, the good news of, of Jesus. Well, my argument and I share with you frequently is that the gospel of the word of God, the truth. The word of God is gospel. It's good news from front cover to back cover, back cover to front cover. It's good news. It's the gospel of the Lord, the gospel of truth. <clears throat> but redeemer, Jesus Christ is called our redeemer. What does that mean? There's some people that might have a question and I looked at into it a little deeper than what people have the notion for. And... Yeah, redeeming a coupon, that's a similitude, but here's the thing. Redeem, to buy or pay off or clear by payment. To recover by payment or other satisfaction. To exchange by bonds or goods to convert, to discharge or fulfill by pledge or promise. Now, these things, I'm reading them that way and I'm, I'm taking time through that so that you listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the truth and hear the words. Jesus Christ, John the baptizer, called him the Lamb of God. He came to our plane of existence. He was sacrificed to pay us off, to pay off that which was owed by virtue of the fact that we had adopted sin as our livelihood and the way that we lived. But the opportunity that we would be adopted by the Lord God, because as the word was saying, if you go back and you you read um, about Sodom and Gomorrah and you read about Noah and the ark and the, and the scripture says that God repented of the creation, that, that we hurt God so badly, we grieved him so much, so deeply, 
Brothers and sisters, we are working on that now. When you look around and you see what's going on in the world now, if you think that we don't grieve our father and it doesn't pain him deep into his heart and you don't feel the sadness, I do daily when I look around and see this and I'm right smack in the midst of some of this stuff that's going on. But you know what? My God is with me. And the devil really wants me to get caught up in agitation and anger and bitterness and resentment, which I can easily do because I'd share with you truthfully, honestly, now, I didn't ever believe that at my age that I would be in this position and never believed that it could happen because of this country's stance. But now I see what this the stance of this has become here and how despicable the leadership of mammon has become, but here's the other thing, the empirical evidence and truth is that God is with me through all things, all things he is with me. And thank God for his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, not for the presence and gifts he gives, because he bestows a lot of that. This that I'm doing now, this opportunity to share and be a conduit for his truth and his word. This is a present that he gave me. Oh, I'm very thankful for this. But his presence, his being with me and his promise to be there with me at all times, that is greater. It is so awesome. It is so powerful and it is so wonderful. Further, to recover by payment or other satisfaction. My Jesus, Lord, only begotten Son of God came and he recovered my brokenness. He recovered my my condemned soul and that opportunity for anyone else that will choose to believe that he is and have faith and will follow the Holy Spirit. And he paid for my salvation. He climbed that cross. Well, they didn't actually climb it. They threw him down on it and then nailed him to it. He exchanged his life for mine. And by virtue of his being crucified, converted my soul to being clean. But know this and hear this truth. Converted, not to perfection, because God knows we are not perfect and we will not be perfect. And there's nothing perfect on this plane of existence until he who is perfect has come. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, when he returns as a lion of the tribe of Judah, which he has promised to do. Some of us may be alive to see it and some of us may not. I would like to be. I'd be, I'd be powerfully awesome. May not be, and that's okay too. And another 
definition of redeeming is to discharge or fulfill that it, it goes away because of a pledge or a promise. Whew. This is this is these definitions I'm sharing with you come out of a dictionary, they're not out of the Bible. So Jesus fulfilled his promise that he would come and do this. And he promised to come. But yet, because of the judgmentalism and the Phariseeism being practiced by so many, especially those that claim to be the... Oh, I almost, I almost dove into, a, uh, into an early analogy. For those that claim to be the leader of the people, the Pharisees, but yet looking down their nose at Jesus because he was not a learned scholar that had gone to the schools and he didn't have letters from the leaders and the rabbis there, but Jesus is the truth that they taught from, allegedly. But yet, the judgmentalism that they practice, the Pharisees look down their nose because no one could be as knowledgeable as they are. And yes, there are still those that practice that today. Nobody could be as knowledgeable as they. Ah, but they are. And we see, and I share, that these you hear me call them the theological wizards because that's what they decided, that no one can be as knowledgeable as they are. And I am so thankful that my the angel at the church that I go to is not that way. I'm glad that he and his wife, who both have these prestigious degrees, are not that way. I am so thankful. Further reading and definition to make up for amends or offset faults or shortcomings. Well, we're not perfect. We tend to be judgmental. We tend to be very dark and we hold on to things. But he came to make up for that. Make amends for that by being nailed to this cross. Further, obtain release or restoration of from captivity by paying our ransom. We were being held ransom <clears throat> by Satan by virtue of the bonds that he had us tied up in of sin and convinced us that we were worthless and that it makes no sense for us not to be any other way. And he does that same thing now today. And daily he comes at me through this turmoil and things that I'm going through, these trials that I'm in. And he constantly tries to get me to be upset and anxious and so worried about it. And, and truthfully, I have to share with you, as I've shared many times with you, the little mirror that I have that floats around in front of me when I'm sharing with you. And I heard Graydon 
mentioned this when he was sharing his word. Did a good job, by the way, there, young fellow. <clears throat> is that that reflection comes back because I have no, it wouldn't be proper for me to stand and speak down to you because that's what many theological wizards do. They don't, they don't share and they don't, while well, they're not sharing, they're, they're dictating. Um, because if they were sharing the word that they practice and, and read, that it would be a two-way issue, but that's not sharing. They just like to dictate things and give information that they know. There is not a relationship, a relational. It's just a, a straightforward dissertation period. You listen to what they say and what they have to say because they're in authority. And that's the way the Pharisees practice. But I like Jaden made reference to that reflection that he has. At full, and I share this with you, that I have this mirror that floats around. It's kind of oval shaped and it floats around wherever I look. As long as I'm sharing the word and I'm talking about the word, that that little mirror floats around to remind me that I can't just issue edicts and I can't just tell you how you... It's not about that. It's reflective because... I am in the midst of it just like you are. And unlike politicians that say we're all in this together, we are all in this together. If you're a true believer that, and this broken plane of existence that we're in, oh yes, we are in this together. And I have, the devil comes at me, especially in this situation I'm in because he's aware of how I am. He's aware that I tend to like everything set in a row. And he's aware that, it troubles me and he really enjoys the fact that I get uh, annoyed with the position that I'm in. But what's really great is that I have a place to go, that I can be redeemed. And that exchange is that I have the peace of the Lord who has told us that when he came into the upper room and he said, peace, peace I give unto you, peace that comes from me, not as from the world because my peace is pure peace and it's true peace and the peace that they claim is in the world isn't true peace. It's a dark, broken, fractured. You might get a broken little, you know, when somebody tries to offer you a cup of coffee and they give you a little broken piece of a, of a mug and they say, oh, here's your, here's your mug of coffee and it's got a little couple drops. What is that? That's exactly what the peace of this world is like because you can't get it from here. Some people think you can get it by going to a bar, a pool hall, and hang out with your buddies and get snock or drunk and you can't even walk. And then they want to try to get in a car and drive home because of what? That's not ignorance, that's stupidity. And then they go, but see, here's the thing. You have to understand this. When, they, when the enemy gets working in your mind and gets you to think that way, He's working on trying to not only get you to be separated from this plane of existence, but also in your destruction. And that destruction would be because you would be separated, because you, you died that way that you're going to be separated from God. He works on that all the time. Further, as... Theological wizards like to portray, or they like to say it, and and there's notation was made here, but 
And they like to put that title on the thing so that you know it's uh, biblical or from scripture. But theologically, we know that Jesus did all these things for us. And we know that Jesus is our redeemer. But I really like the fact that when you open your eyes, your spiritual eyesight and your spiritual hearing is that you can see Jesus in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And we can encounter him there. And I've shared with you before that that's actually a number of times. Joshua encountered him on the path going down into the Valley of Jericho when he encountered the man who opposed him with his sword drawn, his flaming sword drawn. And he asked what side he was on and the, the man, unrecognized by Joshua firstly, I don't take a side. The captain of the host doesn't take a side. Oh, Joshua knew. Boom, as soon as he heard that, he knew who he was talking to. He threw himself down and realized that he was before the Lord. And he knew that the ground that he was on was holy. He removed his shoes and, man, he just... And this... The Lord didn't make him get down. He was compelled by what he knew in his heart. Just like when Jesus returns and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, there will be those of us who will do so because our heart tells us that that's what we must do because he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross and sacrificed himself for my sake, our sake, and we will fall on our knees because we know in our hearts that that's who he is. That's who he was, who he is, and who he always will be for us. And that truth we will know. So we will be compelled by the conviction in our heart and there will be those who will be compelled to do so because the hosts that come with our Lord will tell them to do so. You are in the presence of the Almighty Lord, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who has come to fulfill this promise. So you will get on your knees and you will bow your head and you will confess with your tongue that that's who he is. Me, my heart tells me who he is. My belief in my heart, my faith keeps me walking, pressing forward. And this turmoil that goes on here and this thing because of mammon, I have to remember that I can't look for the answers there. I can't because I've already been shown that there's already many, many excuses of why it can't be done. <laughs> They can't do the very thing that they're supposed to be doing. And it's still happening. And it continues to happen. Will always happen. And I learned this quite some time ago, actually. I was a young fellow and saw this happening and realized certain things. Now as an older 
I see and follow the word and the word declares it's gonna be this way because we are in a broken world. So brothers and sisters, there are beautiful things here. But remember that this is a broken plane of existence. God didn't create it this way. God created it to be Edenic. But because of the fall and the decisions that were made by mammon and their continued choices that are made, and just like God does not condemn us to hell and try to blackmail us into anything, he doesn't point our finger. The only thing he does is he judges, but he judges righteously. But what did, what did they talk about? And what was my Lord thinking when he came down to die for me? He was thinking about me. I've shared this with you before. He was thinking about me. And each and every one of you can say that very same thing. <clears throat> Remember that the scripture says that God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. He is a personal God. But many people have this idea about God that he's too austere. He sits on that big throne. He's got his long white hair and the descriptions are in the Bible. And when he speaks... A certain way he speaks with many waters and a thunderous voice. Well, yeah, he does on occasion. But it isn't always that way. God is that God. He is a sovereign God. And we should have that auspicious fear of him for that. But we also need to remember that as the prophet was running to hide from Jezebel that Elijah was told to go back into the cave after he tried to encounter God on the face of the mountain, which God was teaching a very valuable lesson. And it's a lesson for all of us to learn. When he was out there on the mountain in the thunderings, the lightning storms, and the heavy rain, the heavy rain, the hail, the earthquakes and the things that took place out there on the face of the mountain and all that tumultuous noise that was going on <clears throat> And he still couldn't hear God. Why? Because there was too much interference. There was too much white noise around him. And when he was directed to go back into the cave, which he did, it was quiet in there. And what did the prophet encounter? The still, small voice of God. Brothers and sisters, God talks to us as a gentle and loving father and a lot of times we miss that because we're not listening we might hear something but because you're not listening you didn't grasp brothers and sisters when it talks about they that have an ear let them hear but when you hear you have to understand and I learned this when I was still in school there's sometimes I had teachers and professors that would speak a certain way especially as it got closer to test time. And it really seemed that somehow there was correlation there and I didn't quite get it, now I get it. Is that they would turn their volume on their voice box down and you could hear that they were speaking but you weren't quite sure what they were saying so you either had to lean in to listen 
or you had to question. Well, let me share this about that. God does the same thing. He wants you to either lean in and listen to what he's saying, or he wants you to ask a question so that you learn and that you're taught. And the Holy Spirit will guide us and do that very thing. So you lean in and you listen to what God has to say, or you pray the Holy Spirit to guide you to try the Spirit if that's the direction you need to go, and the Holy Spirit will do so. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you daily on my going out, my coming in. You're in my prayers because that's what we're supposed to do. And I know God knows that I pray for you, over you, about you, to him, because he saves my prayers in a little golden vial because I'm talking to him. And I'm not saying that out of vanity. I'm saying that because the Bible tells me he does that. When the angel shared that with John, he's talking about the saint, all the saints, all the true believers, all the believers that pray to God and and talk to him. It's a conversation. It's a personal relationship, part of that personal relationship that God desires to have with us because he's our good, good father. It's there. It's real. It's true. Brothers and sisters, be blessed this day. Walk with him. Talk with him. Stay in his word. Seek his face. Seek his truth in all things. Do not seek offense because if you seek offense, you're surely going to find offense. You're going to find something to be offended at. But instead, seek his face, kindness, and compassion.